0: very often in life, it's important to go back to the basics. Life can be complicated and complex at times. When that happens, it's easy to become confused and disoriented and just not focused. The Christian life is the same way. The longer we have known the Lord... And the more involved we are in various aspects of the Christian life or various aspects of ministry, the easier it is for us to forget about what is most important. As someone has well said, the main thing is to make sure that the main thing stays the main thing. The Apostle Peter certainly understood that. And near the end of his life, he wrote a letter to emphasize this very point. Let's turn together to 1 Peter chapter 2 as we move into the second chapter of Peter's letter. I heard a message on this passage years ago that I have never forgotten. And many of these thoughts I'm going to share today are from that message. 1 Peter chapter 2. Please follow along as I read verses 1 through 3. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. As I mentioned earlier in this series, Peter was in the last phase of his life when he wrote this letter and his second epistle. He had been a follower of the Lord Jesus ever since Jesus called him to follow as a young man. He had the privilege of walking with and talking with the Lord Jesus personally for approximately three years. He was with Jesus in the upper room on the final night of our Lord's life. He heard all that Jesus had to say in the upper room discourse that is recorded in John 13 through 16. There is no doubt that those final words of Jesus had a profound impact on his life. One of the things Jesus emphasized during that discourse was the importance of embracing and loving and holding on to the word of God. In John fifteen three, Jesus said, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. In verse 7 of that chapter, Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Those were just a couple of statements by Jesus emphasizing the importance of the word. As Peter sat in the upper room on that final night, Jesus' words were driven into his heart. And although he would fail on that night, he would come back stronger than ever as he allowed the words of Jesus to transform his life. And when he sat down to write this first letter, he too emphasized the importance of the word of God in the life of the child of God. That's what we see here before us in verses 1 through 3. Peter's exhortation in this passage is very basic. It's found in verse 2, desire the pure milk of the word. Everything Peter says prior to that and everything he says after that, all is focused on that one basic exhortation, desire the pure milk of the word. Peter takes his readers back to the foundation and back to the basics the priority of the Word of God. And, beloved, this is the starting point of everything. 2 Thessalonians 2.10 says that men and women will be condemned because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. In John 8.47, Jesus said, He who is of God hears God's words. In those two passages... Salvation is described as love of the truth and hearing God's words. So love for the Word of God is the starting point. It's how we begin the Christian life. But unfortunately, we have a tendency to lose that love for the Word. We have a tendency to let it be crowded out by a love for other things. It can be crowded out by love for a guy or a gal. It can be crowded out by love for money. It can be crowded out by love for sports. It can be crowded out by love for things or possessions. And Peter doesn't want that to happen to us because the Lord doesn't want that to happen to us. Just as genuine salvation is described as hearing God's words, so the true Christian life can be described the same way. In one sense, you could say this. The Christian life is all about hearing and obeying the Word of God. That's really what it's about. It has been said that genuine godliness is marked by a love for and delight in God's Word. Let me say that again. Genuine godliness is marked by a love for and delight in God's word. I believe that. Look with me at some of the statements on this subject found just in the Psalms. Go back to the very first Psalm, Psalm 1. Back into Hebrew scripture. Psalm 1, and we'll use these passages to sort of set the table for what Peter says in our text in 1 Peter 2. Psalm 1 verse 1 said blessed says blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the path of sinners nor sits in the seat of the scornful watch this but his delight is in the law of the Lord now of course under old testament law this was the de- the the delight of the child of God. For us, it would not be the law in the sense that we're not under the Mosaic law, but the principle is the same. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Many of the promises in Hebrew Scripture were promises about prospering. And so the psalmist says, the the child of God there under old covenant who delights in the law will prosper. Look at Psalm 40, over just uh, to the right a few chapters to Psalm chapter 40. Verse 8, the psalmist exclaims this statement, Psalm 40 verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. I delight to do your will. And how do I know what your will is? Well, your word tells me what your will is. It's in my heart. These are just a couple of the statements in the Psalms. Extolling, loving the word of God. I think it's significant that the longest chapter of the Bible is all about desiring the word of God. Look at Psalm 119. Keep turning to the right to the 119th Psalm. And look at some of these statements made here. Verse 16, I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Skip down to verse 24, your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. Verse 35, make me walk in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. Verse 37 Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and re- revive me in your way. Verse 48 My hands also I will lift up to your commandments which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Verse 72 The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. Verse 92 "'Unless your law had been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction.'" verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Verse 111, Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. Verse 113, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. Verse 127, Therefore I love your commandments more than gold, yes, than fine gold. Verse 159, all the way down to 159, I see the treacherous and am disgusted because they do not keep your word. That's 158, verse 159, consider how I love your precepts, revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. Verse 167, my soul keeps your testimonies and I love them exceedingly. Verse 174, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Now, I ask you honestly this morning, is that the way you feel about the Word of God? Does that describe your heartbeat for Scripture? I know that for many, it doesn't. I know that because... Many don't take any time during the week to read the word. And many do do not make it a priority to be here on Sunday when the word is taught and proclaimed. But that is the question. That is the issue behind our text in 1 Peter 2 about craving the word of God. So let's go back to our text in 1 Peter 2 to see what it says. Before we jump right into this text, let me remind you of the background and the setting, what we have seen thus far in Peter's letter. In chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, Peter describes our priceless salvation. He says in chapter 1, verse 2, we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Peter reminds us that we are the elect of God. God has called us into his family. And then he describes what God has given us in our salvation. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, not, or whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That is a description of our salvation. Those are rich verses describing many of the facets of our salvation. And based on those truths, Peter gives three responses in the form of three exhortations. We're just getting the big picture now. The first response is given in chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. In those verses, Peter tells us what our response ought to be toward God. Toward God. And that exhortation is to be holy. So that's how you could sum up our, our response toward God in relation to our salvation be holy. The second response given is our response toward others. And that is recorded in verses 22 through 25 of this first chapter. And the exhortation there is to love. So our response toward God is holiness. Our response toward others is love. Now watch this. Our response toward ourselves is chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Our text for this morning. And the exhortation in that section is in verse 2, desire the word. The word desire in chapter 2 verse 2 in the original language is an intensified verb that means to crave. This is the same word used in the Septuagint translation of Psalm 42.1 which says, As the deer pants or longs for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. In the Septuagint, that's the same word Peter uses in 1 Peter 2.2. This Greek word is used nine times in the New Testament. In Romans 1.11 and Philippians 1.8, Paul uses the word to describe a craving for effective ministry. In 2 Corinthians 5.2, he uses this word to describe the longing in the heart of the believer for heaven. In 2 Corinthians 9.14, in Philippians 2.26, he uses this word to describe the intense longings of love. In 1 Thessalonians 3.6, in 2 Timothy 1.4, he uses this word to describe the desire for intimate fellowship with other believers who are specially or uniquely loved. So you get an idea of the intensity of this word used by Peter here in verse 2. It describes an insatiable passion and a longing for something. That's what Peter says we ought to have toward the word of God. Now we all know what it's like to desire and long for something like this. We know what it's like to have this kind of longing for a loved one. A spouse, a child, a parent who is not with us because of distance or death. We know what it's like to have this kind of desire for the salvation or restoration of a loved one. Sometimes the desire can be so strong that the pain of the burden is almost unbearable. That's the kind of desire Peter says we are to have for the Word of God. But notice how Peter describes the word in verse 2. First, he calls it pure. This word means uncontaminated. Then he calls it milk. That means it's the source of life and sustenance. Not milk as opposed to meat. That's an a, a imagery that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians. He, here, Peter's talking about the source of life and sustenance. So he calls it pure milk. And then several English translations add the phrase of the word, pure milk of the word. This is a fascinating study in the original language. Now stay with me here because we're going to get a little technical, but hopefully we'll, we'll be able to pull it all together. The phrase of the word, pure milk of the word, in the original language is really only one word. It is the Greek word logicon. Technically, it does not translate... Of the word, then why do some of our English translations have of the word? Good question. The only other time this word is used in our New Testament is in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Back up there with me to get an idea of this particular term. Back to Romans after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts is Romans chapter 12, a familiar verse to many. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or rational service. Some versions translate this reasonable service and others translate it spiritual service of worship, depending on which version you have with you this morning. So this word can be translated reasonable, and it can be translated spiritual, and in 1 Peter 2, it is translated of the word. Why the difference? What, what's going on here? This term literally means belonging to speech or belonging to reason. It has the idea of something that is reasonable or rational, which is why the New King James Version translates Romans 12, 1 as your reasonable service. This is reasonable. This is rational. This makes sense. This is what you ought to do, present your body to God as a living sacrifice. However, most English translations render the word spiritual here in verse 1, which is also a good translation because here in Romans 12, Paul is contrasting a literal Dead sacrifice with a living spiritual sacrifice. Present your body as a living spiritual sacrifice. So, my point is that this Greek word can be translated spiritual or reasonable or belonging to speech, which is where we get the phrase of the word in our text in 1 Peter 2. That is why there's so much diversity in our English translations both of Romans 12, 1 and 1 Peter 2, 2. This Greek word can be translated several different ways. Now back to 1 Peter 2, and I'll see if I can clear up what I've muddied. All right, back to our text there in 1 Peter chapter 2. The ESV, English Standard Version, and the NIV have the phrase in verse 2, pure spiritual milk, and those are good valid translations. Pure desire desire crave the pure spiritual milk. The New American Standard Bible and the New King James Version have the phrase, pure milk of the word. Desire the pure milk of the word. And those are good, valid translations. Let me show you why. In verses 23 through 25 of chapter 1, which is the immediate context just prior to this, The subject has been the word of God. Remember verse 23 says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. That's what Peter has been talking about, the Word of God. So it is valid to translate the Greek term in chapter 2, verse 2, as of the Word, the pure milk of the Word. That's what Peter is referring to in chapter 2, verse 2. This description of Scripture is really not new to Peter. The rabbis used to refer to God's Word as milk, so Peter was familiar with that type of uh, metaphor not only that, Peter knew from Hebrew Scripture that the Word of God is pure, it's clean, it's, 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 uh, it's perfect. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, every word of God is pure. Psalm 19 says, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. So it's not surprising that Peter refers to the Word of God here in verse 2 as the pure milk of the Word. Pure spiritual milk. And he says in verse 2 we are to desire this pure spiritual milk of the word like a baby craves milk. Now, those of you who are parents here in this room need no further explanation. If you've ever had a baby, you know how they desire milk. Everything else is irrelevant. doesn't matter what color the carpet is, the curtains, how nicely you've decorated the nursery. All that's irrelevant. When the baby wants milk, the baby wants milk. One track mind. And Peter says that's the way we should long for the Word. So, Peter says our response toward salvation is to be holy toward God. Love the brethren and desire the word. And beloved, really, that sums up the Christian life holiness toward God, love for the brethren, and hunger for the word. So let's stop again to evaluate. Do you hunger for the word like this? Honestly, now, really, do you hunger for the word of God like what Peter says here and what, as we saw in Psalm 119? Do you really hunger for the word? like this if you don't then there are undoubtedly some reasons why you don't probably a number but let me give you one to begin with one reason is that some christians don't desire the word like this is because they stuff themselves with so much junk food They watch so much TV and listen to so much music and read so many newspapers and so many novels. And I'm not against reading here, but so many magazines and so much stuff that they just don't have an appetite for the Word. It doesn't matter if the stuff is secular, quasi-Christian, the result is still the same. So much junk food that there's just no appetite for Scripture. So how can we get this kind of desire for the Word? After all, this is a, you, you see the command. It's very clear in verse 2. Crave the Word. Desire the Word. As a baby desires milk. How can we get this kind of desire for the Word? Let me give you one real practical way to begin with. Get your own Bible. You say, Brian, that is so basic. We came here this morning to hear you say that. I know it is basic, but I'm amazed at how many people don't have their own Bible that they bring to church with them and they use every time there is a study, a Bible they can underline in or make notes in or at least get familiar with or get to know their own Bible. Some people don't even bring a Bible to church and some bring a different one every time. Get your own Bible that you can get familiar with, that you can get to know. It is a masterful tool, and you need to know the tool. You need to get familiar with and comfortable with the tool. But there's more we can do. And Peter tells us what that is. There are five principles in this text to cause us to desire the pure milk of the Word. Let's consider these briefly. Principle number one, remember the source of of life. Notice in verse 1, Peter says, "Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking." The first word in this verse is the word therefore or so, because it builds on what Peter has just said. And as I've, as I've mentioned many times, the number one rule in Bible study is whenever you see a therefore or a wherefore, you stop and see what it's there for. This is connecting, this word connects the exhortation in verse 2 to what Peter was just saying at the end of chapter 1. Peter just finished saying in verse 23 of chapter 1 that the Word of God caused us to be born again, it has that much power. Therefore, he says in chapter 2, therefore, we ought to long for this powerful word. If it had the power to transform your life at the beginning, then you ought to continue tapping into its power and drawing from its power. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Philippians 2.16 calls the word of God the word of life which reminds us that the word is the source of life. In Deuteronomy 32, 46 and 47, Moses said to the people of Israel, set your heart on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command to your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law, for it is not a trifle thing for you because it is your life. It's your life. Beloved, the word of God is not a trifle thing. It's not trivial. It's a matter of life and death. If you treat Scripture as a trifle thing, you forfeit true life. So principle number one, remember the source of life. Principle number two, rid your heart of sin. Verse one says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Part of longing for the Word involves laying aside your sin. The fact is, the reason some Christians don't long for the Word is because they have too much animosity in their heart toward other people. Now, why do I bring that up? Because all five of the sins Peter lists here in verse 1 are relationship-destroying kinds of sins. And Peter says, get rid of them. Get get them out of your life. They're going to destroy you. They're going to suck any motivation out of your heart for God's word. If you're unwilling to make changes in the wrong ways you treat people or relate to other people or view people or feel about people, you are thwarting your hunger for the word. You're throwing a damp cloth over it, just extinguishing any fire in your heart for the word. It's interesting to note that in the early church, whenever someone was baptized, it was customary to take the clothes they were wearing and throw them away. And after the baptism, they would be given new robes to symbolize that they have gotten rid of sin. They've dealt with sin in their lives and gotten rid of it. That seems to be the imagery behind what Peter is saying here in verse 1. It's almost as if he's saying, listen, if you haven't gotten rid of these things at conversion, if you didn't get rid of these things when you came to Christ, then get rid of them now. Get get them out of your life. You've got to rid your heart of sin. As the old saying goes, the Bible will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from the Bible. If sin is in your life you're not going to desire the Word. So Peter says, get rid of your sin. And if you don't, then any supposed desire you have for the Word is really a form of idolatry because you're just looking at the Bible, trying to find something to justify your sin or excuse or rationalize. And sadly, I run into a lot of people who fall into that category. Rid your heart of sin. That's principle number two Peter gives us. Principle number three, realize your need. Peter says in verse 2, As newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Or some translations say that you may grow in respect to salvation or grow in your salvation. But the, the, the word I'm going to focus on for just a moment is the word babes. The principle here is realize your need. The word babes here in this verse means the smallest child. On the front of that word, Peter adds the word newborn to even intensify it more. So Peter is saying this, like a born just now baby, desire the pure milk of the word. The point is this, just as a newborn baby needs pure milk, so do we need the pure milk of the word of God. Realize your need. A baby needs milk. It won't do you any good to set a bag of potato chips in front of a newborn baby because a baby needs milk. You can't set a nice steak or a plate of vegetables or a plate of fruit. A baby needs milk, and we need the pure milk of the word. That's Peter's point. That's his analogy. Don't misunderstand his analogy. He is not talking about new Christians. In other words, he's not saying, well, if you're a new Christian, you should desire the word. But if you're not a new Christian, then this is irrelevant. No, that's not his point at all. He's not talking just about new Christians, and he's not talking about meat, milk as opposed to meat. As I mentioned earlier, that's Paul's analogy. He's simply making a comparison. Just as babies desire, crave, long for milk, so we should long for, desire, and crave the Word of God. We need the Word of God. Three times, Scripture says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So, beloved, don't ever think you don't need the Word. Don't ever think you've had enough of the Word. We have a desperate need, and it is the Word of God. Oh, my, there are so many weak Christians and weak churches in our society, in our nation, in our world, and for, for many, it comes right back to a lack of desire for, interest in, willingness to heed the word. We should desire the word because it's our source of nourishment. So Peter says in principle number three, realize your need. Principle number four, recognize the priority of growth. Peter says, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, or that you may grow in respect to salvation. In other words, grow in your salvation. Don't be a spiritual baby, infant. This this, this is a very powerful analogy Peter is using because we've all had the sad experience of seeing a human being whose body hasn't grown properly for one reason or another. And that's a tragedy. But it's a greater tragedy to see a spiritual life like that. This verse literally reads like this. Desire the pure spiritual milk of the word that it may grow you. It's literally how it reads. So that it may grow you. The word causes us to grow. And we should want to grow. This isn't optional. 2 Peter 3.18 says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Beloved, if you ever get satisfied with where you are at spiritually, then you will never desire the word like this, like Peter has described. Spiritual growth arises out of not being satisfied with where you are at spiritually. Let me say that again. Spiritual growth rises out of not being satisfied with where you are at spiritually. Lord, deliver me from ever being satisfied with where I'm at spiritually. Oh, blessed discontent that propels me to spiritual growth. In Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, maybe the greatest Christian to ever live, said, I have not attained, but I press on. You are really in trouble if you're content with your spiritual progress. That's a serious problem to have. Recognize the priority of growth. And then finally this morning, principle number five, refocus your perspective. That's verse three. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. This is a loose paraphrase of Psalm 34, 8, which says, Oh, taste and see that Yahweh is good. Here, Peter applies the verse to the Lord Jesus, which is another one of the many passages in scripture that affirm the deity of christ his equality with the father so he says you should desire the word of god if you've tasted that the lord is gracious we tasted the goodness of the lord at salvation when we were forgiven and given new life but we tend to get sidetracked into loving other things we forget how sweet the graciousness of the lord is So we don't delve into the Word. If we're going to desire the Word, like verse 2 says, we're going to have to refocus. Refocus on eternity. We're going to have to refocus on the goodness of the Lord so we don't leave our first love. This is the command. Desire, crave the milk of the Word. I'm afraid many Christians in the body of Christ, true believers now, are suffering from spiritual anorexia nervosa. There are four symptoms people have who suffer from anorexia nervosa. I'm talking about literal, physical, this physical condition. Four symptoms. Let me give them to you and then see if you can see the parallel for the Christian on the spiritual dimension. Here are the four symptoms from a a, a, a counseling or medical point of view. Symptom number one. Long periods without eating, followed by binges they reject. Do you see the parallel? Many Christians go for long periods of time without taking in the Word. They never read their Bibles. They're not at church. They're not at a Bible study. They just go long periods of time without taking in the Word of God. But then when they're given the Word, they happen to come to church or go to a Bible study. They just reject it. They walk out unchanged. They don't receive it. They don't accept it. They don't apply it. Symptom number two of actual physical anorexia nervosa. Excessive exercise to prove you are competent. Do you see the parallel? Many Christians try to make up for their lack of hunger for the word by just substituting church activity or activity. Just busy, busy, busy in life. But it's just sort of a cover trying to prove they're competent because there's no hunger for the word. Symptom number three, depression and an inability to deal with problems. Do you see the parallel there? Many Christians just aren't able to deal with sin in their lives. They're always down. They can never rise above it. Never victorious. Never moving forward. Just sort of seem stuck in neutral. Symptom number four, this is, again, actual anorexia nervosa before we get the sort of the spiritual parallel. Social isolation. This is a fear of being with people and being discovered. Do you see the parallel? Many Christians don't want to be close to other Christians, so they, they remain at a safe distance. They, they refuse to get involved because they're afraid they're going to be discovered. They, they won't go to a, a, a Bible study or a Sunday school class or have an accountability partner or any types of relationships like that where you interact on a more personal level with other believers. It's all just kind of keeping things at a safe distance. So, do you suffer from these things or do you desire the word? Beloved, this this is foundational for your Christian life. This is so foundational. And for that reason, this may be one of the most important messages you will ever hear. I don't say that because I preached it. I say it because it is so foundational for your walk with God. Take it seriously. Desire the Word. And if you don't desire the Word, then do what you need to do to get to that point in your life. Because that is the command. That is what we are told clearly in verse 2. Desire the pure milk of the word of God. Let's bow together as we close. As you bow your head in closing this morning, just by way of closing applications for us, If you're here today without a relationship to Jesus Christ, then understand that you you won't desire the Word of God like what we've talked about this morning. But the Word of God has the power to change your life. It has the power to to change your heart if you will open your heart, if you will surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and His truth. So if you're here today with, with no relationship with Jesus Christ, no life change, then that's the starting point for you. That's where you need to begin. So I would encourage you, I would urge you right now, this, this very moment, because the Lord hears your heart, even if you're not praying out loud. In the quietness of your own heart, call out to the Lord. Say, Lord, I do want you to change me. I, I do want to be a different person. I want my sins forgiven, and I, I want new life in, in a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. So forgive me, change me, grant me your salvation. You don't have to use those words, but but if that really is where your heart is is longing, then call out to the Lord for his salvation. And if you are a child of God, then you've seen very clearly, both in Hebrew Scripture and the New Testament, this, this which should be, should be the attitude of all of us who are children of God, this great longing for the word, this appreciation, this rejoicing, as the psalmist says, I I rejoice in your truth. I love your truth. That kind of appreciation, love, and longing. If it's not there, admit it to the Lord. Don't Don't try to cover it. He knows. Don't try to deceive yourself. If it's not there, admit it to the Lord right now. Lord, I I don't have this intense craving. I don't have this. I've heard this morning maybe some of the reasons why, and I need to, to sort through and address those things, but Lord, give me that type of intense craving and desire for your word. And then coming off of that, if the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart about something specific that's a hindrance along these lines, then do what you need to do to address that so that you will long for, crave, desire the pure spiritual milk of God's precious Word. Father, thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning through your Word. It is pure. It is clean. It is spiritual. It is the source of life and nourishment. And as we have seen this morning, both in Hebrew Scripture and here in this text before us, we should love it. We should crave it. We should long for it. We should rejoice in it, delight in it. And Father, if we are not, may we see what the reason is and be willing to address that so that we will obey what we are told to do here in this text. And that is as newborn babes to desire the pure milk of the word that we may grow. So may your spirit speak to our hearts and address whatever in each of us as you see us and know us perfectly. May we respond properly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.